Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Join hosts and educator extraordinaires Michal Beton and Noam Weisman for the latest weekly podcast from Unpacked Wandering Jews as they tackle topics and uncomfortable questions about Israel, Judaism, and Zionism that surround them with the goal of working towards the answers together with their listeners. No matter where you're from, if you've ever wondered about anything, this is the podcast for you. Listen to Wandering Jews with Michal and Noam on your favorite podcast app today. Wandering Jews is brought to you by Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. Welcome to Money Making Conversation Masterclass. I'm your host, Rashawn McDonald. I want to hear from you today. As always, you know, this is a podcast for you. This is a radio show for you. This is information that I provide for you to you know, basically improve your life, you know, to pique your curiosity. Because I recognize that we all have different definitions of success. For you, it may be the size of your paycheck. Mine is inspiring you to accomplish your goals and live your very best life. It's time to stop reading other people's success stories and basically start writing your own. People always talk about their purpose of gifts. If you have a gift, leave with your gifts. And don't let your friends, family, or coworkers stop you from planning or living your dreams. Today's show, we always discuss overcoming the odds, living your best life. My guest is a dear friend. I've known him a long time, Johnny Wright. He's a successful entrepreneur, celebrity hairstylist for over 30 years. Johnny Wright is a celebrity hairstylist to clients like former First Lady Michelle Obama, Queen Latifah, Tamron Hall, Kerry Washington, and many more. He has taken his expertise to the book world. <laughs> Joining with Dummies series, Johnny Wright's book, Natural and Curly Hair for Dummies is available now on Amazon and wherever books and ebooks are sold. He is a special guy. You'll learn how to tame frizz, keep your hair moisturized, and looking luxurious. With the right tricks, tips, and advice, you can get a halo of soft, healthy curls. Of course, I can, just the way you want them. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation Masterclass, the one and only Johnny Wright. Hey, Johnny. <laughs> hey, Rashawn, how are you? Well, you know, I, I cannot, uh, I can, you know, people didn't need to know about our relationship, man. We, we uh, over a decade, you know, uh, when I was managing Steve Harvey, you always were so gracious to come and do the Neighborhood Awards with us and the Hoodie Awards yeah. in Vegas and Atlanta. But all along, you know, the, the, the fun part of our relationship was always getting interviews with you when uh, First Lady was still in office, because she was always in these top-secret areas. She said, Rashawn, I can't <laughs> talk to you now. I'm here, you know, phone service is bad. So tell us about that whole relationship, man, and how I got started, and uh, and basically, which, you know, that's, that's just one part of your fame, but it's a tremendous story to tell. I mean, it was eight years. I was I was with her for the whole, you know, two both terms of the, when it was in the White House. I... Um, met her in 2007 um, when they, like two weeks after they announced for that they were running for presidency on Oprah Winfrey. And I worked with her, we hit it off. And then I moved to LA, not thinking anything of it. And then I got a call from her staff asking me to do her while she was in LA for like Ellen DeGeneres and Jay Leno and conferences and fundraisers and things like that. So we was able to start, you know, developing a relationship. And then Shortly after they, you know, the election happened, they won, and 
maybe about a month or two after they won, I got asked to come do her for the cover of Vogue, which was taking place in Washington, D.C. This was like a few days before inauguration. Mm-hmm. And I went down and I did her. And at that shoot, before I even started working on her, she asked me would I be willing to move to D.C. to work with her. And I immediately said yes. And <laughs> the rest is history. I was there with well, her. Let's talk, about, let's talk about that because, so, you know, you know, you're in L.A. Because you just moved to L.A. for your own personal reasons. You know, this is yes, your dream. Yes. Hey, man, I made this conscious effort. And for some reason, Faith had it. She needed you in L.A. Yeah, yeah. So she came to L.A. pretty often. I think this is right when the, you know, the campaign was really hyping up and they were, you know, traveling around the country a lot. They came to L.A. quite often, like I said, again, for like fundraisers and conferences and things like that. And I was able to start, that's when we was really developing a relationship and I was working with her more often then. Still didn't think that I was going to be invited to work with her in the White House. I just thought, <laughs> you know, working with her throughout the campaign, you know, like, awesome. Um, and just to be quite honest, I wasn't too optimistic at the time. I didn't think they were going to make it into the White House. We had never seen any one of their us, color. Right. Uh, let's go. There's us. You know. We just thought this would be, it's just great to see this happening. They're getting this far, you know, but I didn't think it was going to happen. But then once it happened, I got that call to do it for the cover of Vogue. And I, I still didn't think I was going to be working with her exclusively. I just thought, you know, she's throwing me a bone because I worked with her throughout the campaign. So come get the cover of Vogue. And I'm like, this is great for my portfolio. I, I'm able to say that I can cover a Vogue. And then um, shortly, you know, after I arrived, she told me that. And then now I'm, I'm three Vogue covers in and all other magazines, Glamour, InStyle, you know, every other magazine. Ladies and gentlemen, I love when Johnny tells the story. I always ask him because, you know, because he's leaving so many stories out, so many little nuggets out how they actually met and, I thought way back the first time, but the, the but I always want to just remind him the, of his his greatness. It's my personality, it's my relationship, it's by you know treating everybody the same. All the all those all that comes out of his story. Whenever he repeats it, you know he didn't expect her to be nobody other than the customer that was in front of him, and he gives yeah. every customer you know top billing, first-class billing. And when you treat people consistently, then consistent things come back that you don't yeah. expect. And when you got the opportunity to say, hey, I'm going to be moved to D.C., was that, what, what went through your mind? Because you're in L.A., you know, there was there like some hesitation, what I'm going to do, some confusion? Yeah, but you know, because so I left, when I left Chicago, I left Chicago in um, August of 2008. Seven, right, right. Mm-hmm. and I left three over three three hundred clients. I had a very successful salon career in Chicago. I had over three hundred clients. I worked three days a week. I had four assistants. I took thirty hands a day. <laughs> it, was, it was crazy, and uh-huh. but I did a lot of high profile professionals, entrepreneurial women, and all those type of things. And so I I I was I left Chicago with a pretty hefty bank account. So. It was perfect. I was like, I was able to buy furniture, put down payment on my place, and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. But when I moved to LA, I started out at a new, it wasn't a new salon. It was President Pakai, who was the number one salon in the country, but he had just opened up a new salon on Merrill's place, and he had a salon in Beverly Hills. So this salon was just brand new, so they had to build the clientele. So the money was a little shy, just a, a lack of better description. So they gave us a salary we was building, but it wasn't what I was used to, but right. I was still very happy having to be in LA, building my celebrity client um, world and everything. And then by the time the election happened, it was like the end of 2008, you know, I didn't have that type of money to, to just pack up and move across the country. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when she said it to me, of course I initially said yes, because I believe in the power of yes. That's kind of what I, I talk about as my career has, has been guided through the power of yes. But at the same time, I was like, how the hell am I going to do this? Uh, (laughs) And I had to figure it out. And luckily enough, I had a very close um, client of mine. Her name is Susan Williams. And um, she's a sculptress, and her her husband is a a stomach doctor out of Little Rock, Arkansas. And her daughter lived in um, L.A., and we were very close. And her daughter told her that I got the job. And she called me. And she was like, hey, if you need anything, let me know. I, I'm so proud of you. I'm so happy for you. This is an amazing thing for you and your career. And, you know, of course, I had never 
ever asked any, not even my parents, for money because I had been doing hair since I was 11 years old. So, right. you know, hairstylists are not really shy on cash, typically. So I never really, I never even thought about that. So she just said, hey, if you need anything, I said, no, I don't need anything. Just said, no. She said, listen, Johnny, if you need anything, I can send you some money. I know it's a hard move. You know, you just moved to L.A. And I was like, she was like, just do this. I'm going to have my accountant call you. Right. And get your bank information. And then I'll put wow. a little money in your account. And I said, okay. So we got the phone. Her accountant called me. I gave her my bank information. And she was like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm a, she told me when I talked to her, I put like, you know, $3,000 in your account. I said, okay, cool. I looked up the next day. She had put $10,000 in my account. She sent me a note that next morning said, do not worry about paying me back. I want to make sure you, you're, you're successfully getting there. And literally, I spent every bit of that money moving across the country to um, D.C. Wow. And she was literally my, my angel in disguise to get me to D.C. She was your GoFundMe account. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's really like, you know, it's, I've been learning this whole yeah. understanding. I, I, I believe that I'm a master manifester, and I've been learning this whole understanding of what manifestation really is, and it's really just trust. And mm -hmm. what I would say when I think back to back in that, that time, although I didn't know exactly how I was going to get to D.C. and figure all that out and move across the country and find a new place with the down payment down, get my car there, all this stuff. I trusted that I would get there. Right. And that trust brought Susan to me and also put that money in my account and got me to. So all these things I understood was the trust in me that got me to where I needed to be. Great. Speaking to Johnny Wright, the one of the most successful entrepreneurial celebrity hairstylists over the last 30 years and, and just an incredible individual as well as a gifted stylist. His book. It's called Natural and Curly Hair for Dummies. You know, we know the dummy books, you know, the yellow with the yellow with the little black ink on the cover and all that. And oh that okay, but yours looks more stylish. Yours looks I love that. Natural hair blue and yellow and black. That's not the dummies I'm familiar with. How did this relationship come about? So um this is uh, something that was garnished through my agent. Her, her name is Nikita Adams. She's not an agent anymore, unfortunately. She moved on to head up a production company out in L.A., but she was my agent at the time, and they reached out to her and said, hey, we would, be see, we would like to see if Johnny would be interested in, in authoring this title. And at the time, it was called Natural Hair for Dummies. And the reason why we call it Natural and Curly Hair for Dummies is because I wanted to include the Latino dad community because they don't necessarily call their hair natural, but they call it curly. Right. So mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that they... Sorry about that. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that they understood um, that this book was for them them as well. So basically, um, she called me. They they asked me to do a table of contents and then do a book proposal. After that was done, it was approved, and we were on to writing. And I didn't I didn't realize that because they tell you that you're gonna you know you do the table of contents, you do the book proposal, and then we we'll pair you with a dummy fire that quote plays the role as a ghostwriter. So my my agent was like, oh, this is going to be a light lift for you. You know, you just get on the phone and, <laughs> you know, you just, you know, it'll be interview style, da, da 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 And I was like, okay, great. That wasn't the case. I did not have a ghostwriter. I literally wrote every single word in this book. <laughs> and how it works is you have to write the book and the dummy fire puts it in a dummy format right. to make it a dummy thing. So that was really challenging for me because I had said yes to this. I had signed the contract, and by this time I had the advance, and I was like, I'm all in. And I was like, <laughs> but I never wrote anything in my life. You right. know, I didn't go to college. I mean, I went to beauty school, but I didn't go to college and make write essays and things like that. So I didn't know how to write. At, right. at least I didn't think I did, but it was a challenge that I, I, I absolutely needed, mm -hmm. and I did it. It took me a year mm -hmm. pretty much to date to write it. I, I, got, I started writing in August. I finished this year in August, and the book was released November 10th. Awesome. Let's let's slow down because you you said the word dummy fire. This is an yeah. individual. Because let's let's tell everybody who's not familiar with the dummy series, which tied to anything from mechanics to baking to uh, any do-it-yourself type of principles, also to yeah. books in college. It's, it's, 
Cliff Notes, all these things which are tied to that incredible dummy series. Now, you use the words of Rashawn, I'm, I'm writing and then a dummy fire will come along. What exactly is happening right there when you say that term? They're basically, they basically, you're a direct editor. That's right. basically what happens. Mm-hmm. But they, it's a specific, because the franchise has a specific way that they speak to their audience. Right. There's a specific way that you have to write the book. So that's what made it even more challenging. It would be different if I was writing a book about my life and telling my story, and then I was able to kind of, like, have more control over that, right? But that wasn't the case with this. There's a specific and tailored way that they write their book. And so the dummy fire basically takes what I write, edit it down, tells me... So the whole dummy series is all about making learning simple. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they've had, they've had thousands of books. They're a billion dollar company. They're, they're sold worldwide in several different languages. So they're very successful and they know how to communicate with people very simple with simplicity. And so what they would do is, you know, I'm talking like I regularly talk because I've, I've also taught a lot of hairstylists in my career, you know, with L'Oreal for a long time, with L'Oreal for 13 years. So I'm thinking like, this is the way I can teach in this way. But that's, you have to break it down even simpler. And, and, and you can't, like, just say, you know, it'd be great to have your curls, da 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 So the editor goes, well, what's great about it? Right. You have to say right, that. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and so I have to break all that down. So that's what the hard part is. It's like you write the book, and then you kind of rewrite the book, and then you kind of finish it all out. It's a lot of work, but it took about a year to do it. That, 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 that check that was in that bank kept getting smaller and smaller uh, and smaller. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is like, I need to figure this out. And then, you know, I, couldn't really, I had to recluse a lot because, you know, as much as I wanted to, like, work and make money, I had to, like, sit my behind down and write. Because right. if I didn't, I would have not been able to make deadlines. I mean, of course, I didn't make all the deadlines. Absolutely, I mean, I absolutely. absolutely. It got pushed back, I think, once, almost twice. It got yeah. pushed, pushed back, but I made the final deadline. So that was the hard part, too. Like, my, my bank account is dwindling because I'm not able to take out a job. <laughs> Thank God I was working with Tamron Hall, so that was a steady income, so a steady check. But at the same time, that extra income that we, you're typically used to as a celebrity hairstylist, I had to turn down so many jobs just so I can complete the book. We'll be right back with more Money-Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. Now let's return to Money-Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. We're talking to Johnny Wright. His book is entitled Natural and Curly Hair for Dummies. Hey, Johnny, when you... um. When you talk about this book, you know, you can put the title of Arthur next to your name, you know, entrepreneur, stylist, celebrity. Being a celebrity, let's talk about that celebrity stylist that kind of like is in front of your moniker. Is that a blessing or a curse? Um, It's a blessing. I I enjoy it. I think, you know, it's twofold of a blessing because it's, you know, the more celebrities you work with, the more celebrities are, are looking to hire you, right? Mm-hmm. And then when you have those high-profile CEO clients that want to be treated like celebrities, right, and they have the <laughs> money to, to, to book you, right. you know, to come to their home exclusively, it's another plus because they know your clientele by how, how you represent it and from your resume and from your bio. So the thing is, it's, I think it's great. You know, I think, it's, it, of course, it has been abused over the years, and a lot of people, a lot of people just want to have that, that title, right. um, celebrity hairstylist, and you know, there's a whole lot that goes into it, which I'm gonna probably do a masterclass uh, about that one day um, soon. But there, there, at the end of the day, I don't look at it as a curse at all. I think it's a blessing um, um, all the way through. Absolutely, because you know, I, I I say that because of the fact that you know, you just join it right to me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, uh, I consider you a friend, a guy that uh, I could come to for advice. To, we have honest conversations about being successful as African Americans in the industry. Is that sometimes is a uh, is a billion dollar industry that sometimes get get get, get shrunk down as it as irrelevancy because of the fact that I come from a family of six sisters, and uh, uh-huh. my mom. I used to, I, I can remember my mom burning with the hot comb on the stove and, and pressing my sister's hair, and they, they're, they're screaming when she hits their ears. And that's the, that's the look 
of I grew up. You know, that's the community of uh, of the black household. And and then as you as you matured, and plus the social media, you got all these people out here. They doing stuff online. How do you compete? Well, how do you, or, or do you compete when you see all these uh, uh, TikTok videos, these YouTube videos, these social media posts? How does Johnny Wright, you know, come out of that cloud or that fog of like? Uh, um, that, that's not even part of my world. I, you know, I don't compete. I, I don't even compete with myself. You know, people say my only competition is myself. I don't even, you know, I, I, <laughs> I think that's such a cliche thing to say. Uh, I think people just, it makes sense. But at the same time, I don't even do that, you know, to myself. I just, I just live and move, you know, accordingly. Um, for me, I realized that having a strong team helps me. Yes. I don't really, you know, I have a great marketing team. I, my publicist is great, Michelle Pascal, CJ, um, and Creative Genius is the marketing team that's behind the book and everything. And that's what's really helping it for me. And it's not a comparison to others. I only can do it my way. And what's it? It's it. Um, I think it's it's curated for the Johnny Wright experience. So I don't. Look, I don't look at other people and say, I'm, of course, I'm inspired by other people, of course, right? right? Mm-hmm. I can see something on TikTok that inspired, inspired me and I call, you know, you know, my marketing team and say, hey, maybe we could do something similar to this and stuff like that. But other than that, I don't compete. I, I One thing I don't have is that type of stress. Right, right, <laughs> I don't right. Even, I never think about that type of stuff. I just never do. And I, I think that's just my eternal optimism because that's who I am. But I never, ever really considered that kind of stuff. So I'm thankful for that because I know it's so much pressure on so many people to show up a certain way to 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 keep up with the Joneses. To yes. be, and I've always kind of had my own lane and set my own trends and lived life exactly how I wanted to live awesome. it. Here's the thing is that I'm just honest story. I have a daughter. You know, and my wife, and uh, she was always, she was a tennis uh, prodigy. And so, and we put a perm and uh, darn it burnt her hair out. Okay, now she doesn't do that. She's natural and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and and things of that nature. So, so your book talks about, you know, uh, ditching the chemicals and uh, uh, the, the textured locks that you want to have and taming the frizz and keeping hair moisture and looking luxurious. What? What what mistake did I do? Is it is it a mistake to use chemicals, or uh, is it? No, no, no. It's not a mistake, and that's one thing I wanted to make people understand. Even though my book is called Natural and Curly Hair for Dummy, there is no shaming relaxers in my book. You okay, know, cool. um, I did relaxers for a very long time. Some of my clients still get relaxers now, and if it's done properly according to manufacturer's instructions, uh, <laughs> you won't uh, you won't um, you won't have a bad. Uh, situation unless it just doesn't work you know the chemical just doesn't work for that person is so I, I can't really speak to what you did wrong but I would probably say what probably did um happen is it was either left on too long it was too strong right of uh, a chemical for your daughter at that time those things um play, uh, play into it so you know I'm pretty sure it's great that she's natural now she yeah. likes the versatility of her natural curls which is great nothing mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's beautiful. I celebrate so I will be book. buying the book now. I will be buying yeah. the book. It might be a Christmas present, too. I'm just going to let you know. Natural this is a curly great stocking stuffer. This is a great stocking stuffer. So many people are purchasing from. I have so many friends that are sending it to me so I can sign it for their family. But it's a great stocking stuffer for Christmas. And the good thing about it is this book is about healthy hair, period. Yes, it's geared towards natural and curly hair textures. But at the end of the day, it's about healthy hair. Yeah, you know, because that's when you, you, know, you get a, good, a book like this for a great gift, for a great time, a great level of celebration. The thing about I like about a book like anything like that, it goes back to being healthy, about feeling yeah. good about yourself. And natural beauty, I think, is really what it's all about because sometimes you can get to a world that kind of like is fake. And, we, you know, like I was just reading about Cardi B. She was talking about, you know, the fake fake uh, implants in her behind and she's telling people don't do that. You don't even know what's real anymore, you know? And so when you go to Natural and Curly Hair for Dummies, which is the name of your book, it really kind of like is soul searching, I think. That's how I kind of look at it as well. Allowing a person to really look in the mirror and say, I'm beautiful. It's about me. And guess what? It works. And that's why I really really wanted you on the show to talk about. That's really the reason why I wanted to do the book. I think there's been so much discrimination of uh, against black women in particular, 
when it comes down to the hair, especially in the workplace. I mean, you still have some some states still not passing the Crown Act so people can go to work as their natural self, which is, I think it's insane. But the thing is that this book is a celebration of that. And we I talk about the stigma in this book. I talk about the years of discrimination in this book. And I wanted people to understand that they are natural. And that's really why we want to do the tour, to connect to more people. And it's the, the tour is called Naturally You. And it, it's... We really want to have this conversation countrywide, worldwide, about natural hair, the stigma of natural hair, and how we can d- diminish that stigma and debunk those myths. And that's what this book really focuses on, is really getting people to understand that what you were born with, how you came into this world, is more than enough. Well, you and know- you can enhance it, you can add pieces to it. All that stuff is fine. I don't shame any of that in my book. I talk, I talk about hair extensions and doing protective right. styles, all mm-hmm. those type of things. But I just talk about how to properly do it to keep your hair healthy. I'm glad you say that because, you know, when people hear the word naturally and curly, they think it's restricting extensions, yeah. restricting chemicals, where this book encompasses it all, but just telling everybody the safe way to use it. So you won't yeah. be like a bad dad like me burning my daughter's hair out because <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm, I'm just tired of just dealing with it. How long it could be like that? I'm going to just go get this yeah. perm done. And everybody, here's the key thing to everybody. Everybody can't do the process correctly. That's what I learned. Yeah. And how could you, Johnny, you the best, how would you recommend somebody who's out there, you know, they got the book, the dummies book, to t- just to, to, would you say this is a book for that they at home can take care of themselves? Or if they go yeah. out in public and get some type of care, they'll know what to look for. Yeah, so both of that is in the book. So I I, I, I walk people step by step how to take care of their hair. This is good. You know, speaking to your situation, with you, you know, you wasn't a single dad, but the thing is, those single, there's a ton of single dads out there that who have daughters who have who have no idea what to do with their hair, right? This book will help guide them through it, really step by step how to do it. So I I talk to the the consumer, but this also is for the professional as well too. So there's um, and I also tell people how to find a hairstylist near them. When my me and my team are actually working on building a directory for people to find natural hairstylists in their community. So that's something that we're going to offer early 2023 on my website, right. johnnyright.com. And that way you can don't have to worry about searching so hard. And it's going to be, a, these are people that I recommend personally. It's not like- Love it. I, just did something. I I'm love it, Johnny. I yeah. love it, man. Because like, you know, Zagat's, that was a big for restaurants. Why it can't be J-Dub, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, for, for yeah. hairstylists to know where to go, you can go online, they've got- blackdoctor.org for doctors who you can go that's been recommended that have been vetted. Why can't that do? You could have saved me, my poor daughter. Johnny, where were you at, brother? Come on, now, I needed you. She's 25 now, but hell, I needed you about 15 years ago when my hair was falling on the floor. Come on. Wait, so she was five years old when this happened, or 10? No, she was like 13. She was like 13. Oh, okay, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> no, but, you know, like I said, again, you know, I, I want to appreciate you for coming on the show, man. But again, natural and curly hair for dummies by the incomparable Johnny Wright. You'll learn how to tame frizz, keep your hair moisturized and looking luxurious. With the right yes. tricks, tips, and advice, you can get a halo of soft hair healthy curls, just the way you want them. Johnny, any closing thoughts on your book and what you're about to do next in your career? We talk about the website, we talk about the tour, talking about yeah. the, the, Michelle Obama, talking about Tamara Hall, got name dropped on that. You're just a beast, my friend. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just, that's, I'm really excited about the tour happening next year. I'm really excited to get, have these intimate, personal, live conversations with women and men around the world. That's one thing I want to make sure people understand. It's not just for women, it's for men too. Great. I have a whole section talking about what men could do and everything like that. But hair is hair. It's not a gender, right? Um, Absolutely. And so we talk about we talk about all that in the book. And, you know, this has been a great time for me. It was like kind of serendipitous that the first lady was wearing braids during her tour. She talked about braids a lot mm-hmm. um, um, during her tour and why she sh- decided to wear braids now and how she didn't wear braids in the White House. But, she wore extensions and wigs and how I was able to keep her healthy. All that is in the book. All that information is in the book. And I want people to get this, love it, and use it. it, it this book is a, you know, the great thing about Dummy's book, you can just jump to a, a chapter that you're interested in 
and take that and roll with it, or you can read the book straight through. That's how they're designed. Hey, Johnny, when you when you get the website up and rolling, I'm talking about the website where you start identifying, doc, you know, various hair salons and stylists around the country that you can, in each state, each city. I want you to come mm-hmm. back on the show. I think that is necessary. I do Absolutely. whatever I can in my social media, retargeting audience and stuff like that, like 4.8 million. I can retarget to let people know about your brand. But again, man, you're special. And I always appreciate you taking the time to come on and share your story with my audience. And again, congratulations. Thank you, John. I really appreciate you always supporting me. And I, I love being here on your show. And I can't wait to come back. All right, great. We talk soon, Johnny Wright, the incredible right, and incomparable, successful entrepreneur hairstylist. 30 years of experience, and he just keep winning. Talk to you later, Johnny. Cool. We'll be right back with more Money-Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. You are now tuned into the Money-Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. Hi, I'm Rashawn McDonald from Money-Making Conversations Masterclass with your daily Minute of Inspiration. My guest today is Jeff Friday, founder of American Black Film Festival. He explains how important it is to have black representation in film festivals. I was working in advertising in 1997. Right. And when I would go to major film festivals, I never saw black and brown people. I primarily saw white men. And I, and I, and I was you know, I was impressed with what I would see. It was creative and there was deals getting made. And, you know, there's a whole industry around film that people that we don't really think about. Right. And festivals are a market for buying and selling movies. And I just didn't see brothers and sisters there, you know, and I, and I thought that there needed to be a change. And, and my nature, when I don't, when I see something that brings me discomfort, I don't complain about it. I just, I just do something about it. To listen to this full interview with Jeff Friday is available on MoneyMakingConversation.com. Now let's return to Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. My guest is Ramon Hervey II. Ramon is one of the first successful and universally respected black PR professionals and personal managers in the entertainment business. In his new book, The Fame Game, an insider's playbook for earning your 15 minutes, he shares insights and never-before-told antidotes from his trailblazing career, representing superstars from Motown icons to Paul McCartney, Richard Pryor, and Bette Midler. Ramon Harvey II, Harvey II excuse me, is a pioneer in the toughest side of the entertainment business, the demanding work and genius of conceptualizing, molding, sustaining careers. It's a big-time job. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation Masterclass, the one and only Ramon Hervey II. How you doing, sir? Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So, buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less, like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. 
That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Well, you know, when you, when you manage the guy like Steve Harvey for 16 years, you're going to have that little that little mistake every once in a while. But again, your career is fantastic. And um, let's get it started, man. Flight attendant, huh? Yeah, so I was a flight <laughs> attendant for Pan Am in uh, the mid to early 70s. And uh, I got the job, really, because I killed two birds with one stone. Uh, Pan Am was one of the last, uh, although it was the first international carrier, uh, American international carrier, they never had men on the on the flights because they, they had like 51 vice presidents and they wanted, you know, really gorgeous women to be eye candy for all the business guys. Right. So that, they came up with the really high level uh, looking and, you know, everything, stylists, uh, stewardesses. But all the foreign airlines did men. And so when I uh, was interviewed, they didn't have any black uh, men. I didn't have any men and they didn't have, very and had very few black men or women, so I killed two birds with one stone. And uh, it was a it was a very uh, uh, adventurous time for me, and, and I got to see the whole world. You know, I the one thing that you you have to realize when you're a steward, and I was a college graduate. You know, the people would say, "What do you do for a job?" And I said, "Well, I'm a waiter in the sky." And they said, "What does that mean?" And I said, "Well, I'm a flight attendant, but really, I'm a waiter." Right. <laughs> I could never get that out of my head that that's all I'm doing. But I had a lot of fun. And, um, you know, you get to stay in all the best hotels. I met a lot of great people, and uh, I had a lot of fun doing it. But you know, so Ramon, you know, you you kind of like. Throw that out. You know, I was a flight attendant on Pan Am. And in the era that you became a flight attendant, you were the very first. They wouldn't even hire men, let alone a black man. You know, so I don't want to trivialize the significance of being a first because there's so many um, racial situations you have to deal with, uncomfortable situations you have to deal with. How were you able to be who you are and sustain the, 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 and, and, continue to, and continue to excel in the job that you were the first one at? Well, you know, I always go in that I'm as good as anybody else. So I always started with that. I, I never looked at it. I mean, I know what, you know, we live in a systemic racist system. So I was very aware of that. Um, and I really wasn't sure. I didn't. I had never even been on a plane. I had been on one plane before I did that job. <laughs> right. And that was like a, a half hour flight from... Um, from Los Angeles to San Francisco. So I had, I really was a fish out of water and uh, I was just trying something different because I wanted to get out of the States. I wanted to go somewhere else in the world and see how I would be viewed as a black man. Right. And that was really my, my real goal. Uh, I had graduated, like I said, I was going to be a lawyer and I didn't want to go to law school. Um, so I just said, let me find something. And a friend of mine, her name is uh, Cheryl Boone Ice, was the first black uh, president of the National Academy of Motion Arts and uh, Sciences. Right. And um, Motion Pictures and Sciences. And so she was a flight attendant for Pan Am before I was. She was one year ahead of me in, in college. We both went to Whittier College. And she's the one who hit me to it and told me they were looking for men um, and they were hiring blacks. So she was one of the first wow. black women. I was one of the first black men. And then once I got in, one of the funniest things was I had a big afro and uh, they told me that it couldn't be over three inches from the top of my head. They used to put a ruler in my head. In my head and uh, I used to crack up because my, my hair was probably about six inches. So I used to just pat it down whenever <laughs> I left there. And when I flew, I was always packed down. But then in my own private life, I let it go wild. Right, blow it up. Well, yeah. I, I was in that Afro era. I was in that Afro era, so I knew exactly what you're talking about. I had a friend who had the perfect Afro, man. It was like about, it was about, about a foot off his head, and it was like beautifully. And he just patted down, man, when he needed to pat it down, so I knew exactly what you were dealing with. Now, you know, I'm assuming that you, like you said, you, you're a game changer because, like you said, you just wanted to experience life from a different perspective. You know, that was one of the reasons why you wanted to be a flight attendant. Now, how did you get 
into the whole transition. Did you meet somebody? Uh, no, I'm just going to, this, this is spoken to in the book, but I, in your words and not giving away too much of the book, how did you make that transition of what envisioned you that you be, can be successful in the PR business, which eventually led to the management business, which left, eventually led you to producing television shows and concerts? Well, a, a couple of things happened. You know, I was based in London, so I, I was uh, that. That's where I actually, uh, you know, in the entertainment business was in London because uh, I got laid off from Pan Am, and uh, I met a singer, and um, I had a writing background. I wrote in, you know, in college, I wrote poetry. I wrote. Uh, I was a journalist uh, in high school. I was an editor of my school newspaper and sports and stuff, and so I had that background and that gave me sort of an inroad because this talent agency out of uh, London called uh, Starlight Artists, they were looking um, for someone to help develop a public relations department, the vision right. of their company to promote their, and they had some this artist that they had at the time was a group called the Bay City Rollers. And then in the early seventies, they were, they were being positioned as the next Beatles um, and so they were pretty big. So um, I did get, you know, uh, some exposure. They had a couple of black artists, uh, Matt and Katie Kassoon. They had uh, Clem Curtis and the Foundations. Right. They had another rock group called Marmalade. So I ended up going to that company. And that's where I started doing some writing, meeting. And then I went from there to a, uh, I became an editor of a couple of music magazines in London. And uh, I so, wrote so. the whole magazine. In fact, it was so funny because when I got there, it was just it was a, a publisher and his partner. His partner had a fishing magazine, and he wanted to do the, the <laughs> a fishing so magazine. They didn't even have it, you know anyone writing. I said, "Well, look, you know, to be competitive, I think we need to make it look like we're bigger than we are. <laughs> I, I don't want to be the only person writing. Do you guys mind? Let's if I make up some names. Right. Right. So, and so that's what I, I did. I made up a staff, and then I wrote. I tried to write different to reflect different personalities. <laughs> and you and, truly uh, were a one-man operation. Yeah, it was a one-man. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was me, this guy, the publisher, who really didn't do anything, but he was the one who was funding it. And I had an art director, mm -hmm. and we did. It was called Poster Magazine, and the whole the whole uh, hook, the marketing hook, was that in the contents of the magazine, you got four big posters that you could pull out. And then the editorial copy was on the back of the posters. But, you you know, to get four posters for the price of a regular magazine, you'd be paying four times, five times, ten times as much, you know, if you tried to buy those posters at any kind of rock store or whatever. Right. So that was a gimmick. You know, we did pretty well. And then I ended up, uh, I came to a threshold of time being in London where I had to decide, am I going to be there and be a, a full resident or right. come back to and that's when I decided I'll come back to the States and I shepherded uh, my career to, to continue it in the entertainment industry. And uh, I got a job at Motown. Um, but the funny thing about working at Motown, I got hired because I took a part-time job working at a photomat booth. I don't know if you remember. Oh, I remember photomat booth. Absolutely. I remember those. Absolutely. On Rodeo or in Crenshaw, there was a photomat booth and I worked part time for like now, okay now okay now Ramon Rodeo that's Rodeo that's Rodeo when you get to Crenshaw you know that it's Rodeo in Beverly Hills that when you get over to Crenshaw it's Rodeo correct thanks for correcting me on that it's absolutely true <laughs> So it was right near Pioneer Chicken, and people used to call up and say they were going to rob the place, you know. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to, like, you know, die for some photomat booth. So I would just go, I, you know, guy would call me up, and I'd say, well, you're going to rob the place? I mean, we don't really have a lot of cash in this thing, you know, but whatever. <laughs> I'd go sit in the Pioneer Chicken that was right, you know, adjacent to the, to the little shack. And, right. uh call my manager and say, hey, someone said they're going to rob the place. I'm going to sit here for a few minutes. If anyone comes, I'll let you know. If it's coast is clear, I'll go back and reopen the shop, you know. That's <laughs> funny. Yeah, that whole that whole Baldwin Hills area that you're talking about, you know, which is now called South Central. And, you know, like I was fortunate to live in L.A. for 15 years. So I'm very familiar okay. with the uh, area and the whole atmosphere that you're talking through. I lived through the uh, – I was down there through the Rodney King 
um, drama that took over the city, but more importantly, just watching how you embraced it because you worked with iconic names, but also you worked with an iconic agency at the time, Rogers and Cohen's, which is still... Yeah, so I worked at Motown first. So this guy, Bob Jones, right. was really probably my only mentor. I'd worked at Rogers and Cowan for a very brief time. Right. And he was, he ran black press at Motown Records. Mm -hmm. And he's the one who hired me. He actually called me um, while I was working in the photo map booth and said, you know, a friend of mine named Bruce Tolleman, <laughs> who was a photographer for Soul but, Magazine. But, but, but Ramon, he, he knew you was in the photo map booth when he called you? I don't think he knew, no. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't volunteering that information. <laughs> I love it. But uh, he knew a guy named Bruce Tolleman. Bruce Tolleman also went to Radio College with me, and he's a very well-known uh, black photographer. Right. Mm -hmm. he, I, I was looking into magazines to try to find out, you know, ways to write in the States first. And I looked, you know, Soul Magazine was a legendary, you know, music magazine that featured R&B artists. And he was in a, on their staff as a, as a photographer. So I got a hold of him and he said, hey, this guy, Bob Jones, you might want to give him a call. I heard that he might be looking for an assistant. And Motown had just moved from Detroit to um, the CNN building on Sunset Boulevard. Right. And uh, so I ended up getting hired by Motown and that was a really great experience. I got to work with Stevie Wonder and Marvin Gaye and the Commodores, uh, Junior Walker and the All-Stars, the Jackson Five. Um, just a, a, you know, Eddie Kendricks had left the Temptations, Dennis Edwards, um, a lot of really talented artists. Um, in fact, Stevie, the first time I met Stevie, I was in a meeting. For Who has a his, tremendous sense of humor, by the way. A lot of people don't know that. He doesn't, oh, yeah, he, sure. he, he, him Funny being blind is part of the whole process with him, you know. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's, he's a, and we've been friends for ever since I met him at Motown. But I got to be in a marketing meeting with him for the songs in the key of life. And he, you know, he was still a very young guy. He was in his 20s. And, but he was able to call this meeting because he wanted to know what everyone was at the label. He wanted all the division heads to be, to give their spiel about what they're going to do to support his record. Right. Off the meeting. And he says, well, you know, what I really want for this record more than anything else is I want a billboard in Times Square that is so big and so bright that even I can see it. And that set the temper, you know, the tone of the meeting. That not that he was thinking that high, but he was dead serious. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it was a short story. I uh, managed Steve Harvey. And then it was in L.A. at 92.3, the beat. And we was on like the 16th floor, top floor. And then uh, Stevie Wonder was supposed to show up for an interview. And then Stevie Wonder, uh, he called in on the hotline. And Steve said, Steve Harvey said, where are you at? And he said, I'm downstairs driving your truck. And, uh, <laughs> and so he told Steve to look down. And right down his parking lot was Stevie Wonder behind the wheels of Steve Harvey's brand new truck. Uh, uh, going back and forth, back and forth. One of the, one of the great personalities in the, in, the, in the industry is Stevie Wonder, man. I know that was a great yeah. being and a Not only funny, but I mean, everything that he's done for, uh, you know, the Martin Luther King. Social uh, justice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, social justice. And, and I mean, I don't think that would have ever happened without Stevie Wonder. I mean, oh, he, yeah. he, he, re, he religiously devoted himself to that and, and at the risk of his own career, because right. I really think if you look at the, his, you know, his climb to success before that, he had like three albums back to back that won the best Grammy Award. Right. But once he became politicized, uh, white radio pop playing them. Right. They didn't play them the same way that they had before. So he made some personal artistic sacrifices right. to, you know, once he became more uh, socially active and and he's really been a change uh, agent ever since. You know, oh, he's brilliant. He's brilliant. Now, your, your book opens up with uh, Richard Pryor as one of your first clients that um, we all know Richard Pryor is a game-changing uh, entertainer, a guy who had a life where it was kind of self-destructive. Tied to alcohol, tied to drugs, tied to relationship. How did he come into your life, and what were the giant um, obstacles in maintaining some degree of control in his career for you? Well, 
as you mentioned briefly, I after Motown, I did go to Rogers and Cowan. Mm-hmm. And Rogers and Cowan is where I really, you know, that's my first client that I ever worked on at Rogers and Cowan was, was Paul McCartney. Mm-hmm. I put together a press kit for him because he owned a Buddy Holly catalog and he was doing a big a week of promotion to promote his catalog. Absolutely. He has more songs than mm-hmm. you would ever imagine. I mean, mm-hmm. he has a company called MPL Communications and I had no idea that he had such wealth of, of publishing. I mean, he owned over a hundred fight songs from all the major colleges in the U.S., like Michigan, and I mean, just unbelievable. Wow. But so was, you know, Rogers and Cowan was all white. I was the only black executive there, and um, David Franklin was Richard Pryor's manager, and he heard about me, and he called me up, and he said, "Hey, I want you to." Uh, would you be interested in uh, representing Richard Pryor? I'd like, um, you know, we've heard some good things about you. And um, so he was really the one that jettisoned the whole process of me getting in with Richard. And he actually, uh, not only did he say he wanted to, but he made it a point that in the contract that they couldn't assign him to anyone else but me. Wow. So that was like a huge feather in my cap because at that point, Richard was a superstar already. I didn't make him a superstar. He was a superstar when I, you know, when I started working with him. And so to have that feather in my cap as a young black, you know, just starting off, that was early on in my, uh, you know, ascension. I ended up being a vice president and the first black vice president at that company. But I signed Richard before that. And uh, so it really was a, a big stamp of approval for me that Richard uh, aligned himself with me and gave me, you know, some uh, leverage within that company, uh, you know, and some respect to be able to bring a, a black star of that. You know, I had worked with a couple of other people, uh, Matt, uh, Marilyn McComb Jr. were there at the time, um, and uh, George Benson, and I worked with other black clients, but Richard was by far, you know, the biggest one. Um, at that time in my career, and so when you ride, when you when you meet a client like Richard, you don't know him personally. I was a fan of his, and I knew his comedy, and, right. and I had enormous respect for him. But I didn't hang out with Richard. I didn't know much about him. We'll be right back with more money making conversations masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. Now let's return to Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. How did you establish, like you say, he was your friend, he was your client. How did you establish trust with him? Um, you know, I think it's just by having, um, trying to be a voice of reason. That was probably my greatest challenge with Richard is to be a voice of reason. Because uh, he had a tendency of canceling everything and then he wanted, he was always, he was always very, uh, shrewd in the sense that he knew when he was screwing up, right? But he wanted to cover it in some way, either by a donation or something. He, like he, one time he canceled for a, a Brotherhood Crusade gala, their you know annual gala. Absolutely. And he called me at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> you know the night the, on the day that he was supposed to perform, so right. he wasn't going to be performing until like nine nine thirty that night. Right. So. At, Morning, him and his his girlfriend, or I think she was his wife then, Jennifer, Jennifer right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they call me up, and I can tell there's like a little buzz and whatever, and uh, they were telling me they they have to cancel the concert, and I go, oh, well, um, because of doctor, uh, they went to the doctor, and I said, well, what's wrong with with you? And he goes, well, and she's doing the speaking, and I can hear him talking to her, and she says that uh, he has a gastroenteritis. So I said gastroenteritis. I wasn't even sure what what that meant. Mm-hmm. So I looked it up as I'm talking to him on the phone. <laughs> it's a stomachache. It's a fancy yeah. medical right. word. But 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 but, but Ramon, why did you look it up? It wasn't it wasn't it wasn't internet back then, brother. You know, I had a dictionary. <laughs> There's no Google or nothing like that. Right. I you the flip through some pages on that one, huh? G G G A S. Really, I looked at at a dictionary. Well, you know, maybe you guys should just go to bed, and let's just see what happens in the morning. 
because I can't do anything about this now. You know, there was no like social media or anything. And if I did a, uh, an announcement, a press release announcing that he was canceling the concert, I'd have to go to AP or something like that and actually call it in. Right. So I just said, and also Danny Bakewell, who was the founder of the Brotherhood Crusade, I wanted to talk to him first and, right. and come up with a strategy and how we were going to deal with this. Mm-hmm. And Richard said, you know, you know, uh, and so I, I got him to trust me to let me handle it the way that I thought would be best. For his. So I called Danny in the morning and I said, look, Richard wants to cancel, but he's willing to give you guys $10,000. He wants to do a, a national release. I don't want to do any press release if we can avoid it. Um, since nobody, you know, it's an L.A. event. It's not known all across the country that he's even doing it. Right. And Danny thought he agreed and thought it would be better if it didn't get out that he was going to not be there. <laughs> yeah. until Danny wanted them tickets. He wanted them tickets. He didn't want to lose those tickets. <laughs> I know Danny yeah. very well. Very good. So Smart said, guy. Okay, no problem. I said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get a statement from Richard. So I called Richard up. I told him, I said, look, I talked to Danny. Here's what we're going to do. Right. going to save you some embarrassment or whatever. And he agreed. So I think it's, it's always like, uh, for me, when you run into a crisis like that, it's the past. How do I solve it? How can I get him to trust that my decisions, you know, that I'm suggesting to him can be effective on his behalf? And once you do that a couple of times with even someone like Richard, right. he knows once that he can trust you, but also to, to it became a disadvantage because he knew that I'd be able to take care of it some way. I'd figure out some way to take care of yeah. it. Absolutely. Your your blessing and your skills can become a curse because he knows you're going to cover it. So Danny Danny did get me because the whole idea was I was going to have him read this statement from Richard (laughs) to make the announcement that Richard was donating $1,000. And I had never met Danny. I'd only talked to him on the phone. So when I get there, I I meet him. I said, well, Danny, here's the uh, statement that uh, Richard wants you to read. And, you know, you can say the 10 dollars He said, no, I'm not reading that. You said, you're here. You're his guy. You get up there and tell him he ain't showing up. So I love it. I love it. That was a big lesson. of That was one part that I had not prepared, prepared for. Prepared for. Oh, that's Danny's style now. Danny, go get the, he want that money, but you go take those slings and arrows now. But he's a good yeah. guy. Really good so guy. I tell 5,000 black people that uh, they're oh, yeah. That they paid all that money for and it was not going to show up. So that was a okay. You got me on that one, Danny. You got me good. Absolutely. You know, I'm talking to True Trailblazer, Ramon uh, Hervey II, uh, Richard Pryor, Bette Midler, Paul McCartney, Little Richard, the BGs, Quincy Jones with the weird soundtrack. Harry Belafonte, Herb Albert, Peter Frampton, the Carpenters, James Kahn, Nick Nolte, Rick James. Now, Rick James. That was kind of like the Richard Pryor of the music side for you right there. Lionel Richie uh, with the Commodores, uh, Don Cornelius, Groundbreaker. When I was reading the book, I also had a great story about Lou Brock, who you represented when he was, um, and how he was fighting racism and how certain people were. I I love the phone call you had with the senator who basically... (laughs) Use every derogatory name, but you was you was peaceful. You held your calm, but you had to deal with all these different things, these different levels of a, a incendiary type conversation because you were black, but you had to hold your ground and be the professional all the time. Correct, Ramon? Yeah, I, you have to pick and choose your battles, you know. And at that time, like I said, I was the only black executive there, and you know, a lot of my clients, we were all. And my peers, we were all, you know, the book is really a hybrid and it really does tell my story, but it also talks about the systemic racism that exists in our industry and how hard it was for me and other Blacks, you know, to break into the industry and and actually earn the respect, you know, to be able to move up the ladder and get the kind of money that our white counterparts were getting. Because, you know, this was in the 70s when I first started off, and that's literally was less than a decade you know, the height of the civil rights movement. So the industry wasn't really that fast to make changes, uh, you know, no, like any other part of society. They were resistant to change and they were resistant to letting black people in. So you have to really be strategic um, and know um, that you had to do above and beyond what was expected in order to, you know, move the needle. 
Well, you know, your, your book is incredible. I'm talking to Ramon Hervey, the second his book, The Fame Game, an insider's playbook for earning your 15 minutes. He shares insights and never before seen a toll antidotes from the trailblazing career that he's representing as far as superstars. You know, as, as we close out this interview, uh, sir, you know, I, I've been fortunate to live life in Hollywood, New York, that whole behind the scenes, that the world that everybody wants to get into. Everybody wants to be a part of because it looks so easy because they always see the final product. They don't see the struggle to the final product. And it's and there's people, and we see how the PR industry has changed because of social media, because of the fact that some people can don't have to have talent to get that quote unquote 15 minutes of fame. And they're making money, not so much tied to their talent, but some some little skills that they've developed and it's got followers and these followers turn into income. Is social media is the one dynamic that's truly the difference between when you were breaking ground and how, how it is today? Well, I think it is a yeah, it's having a major influence, but I also like to tell people to just sit back and reflect that it's only 13 years old. It's like a teenager in right. terms of a media uh, platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, most of the major media, uh, social media uh, channels. Uh, which would be LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. They all start even like um, um, MySpace. They all started somewhere between 2004 and 2006. Right. But it wasn't until 2010 that they actually reached mass appeal. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whenever you're going to change your whole life and your whole and the society and everything based on a media that is still very young, it's still in its very, you know, embryotic stages, I think only a little over a decade. That's not long compared to television, which is was invented originally in the 30s, but didn't reach homes until the 50s. And then radio was even in the 1800s, you know, so you have all these other platforms that we've been using and, you know, been influenced by for so many years, and yet we're letting this one platform really, and I think the problem, the difference with social media that is affected people's perception of fame or wanting fame over success, like working for success. In my book, I one of the things that I do say is that fame is not a destination. Absolutely. It's an accolade and an honor that you get from and a byproduct of being successful. I don't know any any famous people that weren't successful first. So uh, there's a lot of wealthy people that aren't famous. Right. You can be wealthy and you can be successful without fame, but it's very hard to be famous without success and wealth. Well, it is a difference. I know uh, many times I've met famous people say, if I can make this money without somebody recognizing me, I sure enough would do it. Again, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on Money Making Conversation Masterclass. Brilliant read, man. For me personally, since I spent so many times in Hollywood, uh, I know your sister, who is an incredible executive producer and writer in Hollywood, and a lot of names, uh, Bill Heyman, Heyman, who was one of the great uh, live event producers, uh, did all the golf tournaments for Steve Harvey back when I was managing him in Los Angeles. A lot of names. I mentored Bill. Huh? I gave Bill his first job. Well, I mean, well, you mentioned that in the book, which is yeah, like you said, yeah, and he needed all your friend. Uh, yeah. He worked on um, uh, a project. There, his first experience with live, absolutely, with R and B live, and and, and and like you said, he he, he took that and made a, a business out of it. A very successful, right. I guess you could say worldwide, because yeah. he he do events all over this world, man. Bill's a baller. But again, yeah. thank you for taking the time to come on the show, man. Happy holidays, and I appreciate you. you okay. You. Thank you, sir. I appreciate the time. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rushan McDonald. Always remember to lead with your gifts. Money Making Conversations Masterclass is a presentation of 3815 Media Incorporated. You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. Hi, I'm Rashawn McDonald from Money Making Conversation Masterclass with your daily Minute of Inspiration. My guest today is Talk to Leith. She's an intuitive life coach and author, Tosh Leith Hamilton. She talks about how to develop a roadmap to your success by analyzing habits and patterns. 
I'm giving them the roadmap and the tools and the resources to succeed, to get to where they need to be. Now, I include a possibility of your future because I cannot predict anyone's future. I'm not God. Um, it is a God given gift, but I'm not God. But based off of what I know you can do to get there, I'll give you that insight. And most clients who listen to me, it, it almost ends up successful. I'm literally giving you the roadmap. People jokingly say that I'm like the cheat code to life because I'm giving you the roadmap of what you need to do to get to where you desire to be, your God-given purpose. You know, I, I know what's happening. And I, I want everyone to just win in life. To listen to this full interview with Tosh Leaf Hamilton, it's available on moneymakingconversation.com. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste, the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. 